You know, I think the best line in that song is when he says, still, everything happens for a reason, is no reason not to ask. Now, I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this series, Benefit of the Doubt, that's one of the things that I think sticks with me, is that when things are going on around me that I don't like, when I'm trying to process my life, trying to understand what God might be doing, it's it's not that helpful to just shrug and say, ah, I guess everything happens for a reason. Like, I still have questions, and I still want to ask, and I think... That God enjoys that with us. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. And so I'd actually like to invite to our stage a friend of mine who you may recognize, um, who's been through some of those things, had a chance to ask some of those questions, and to really explore who God is to him. So would you welcome Ryan Ventura with me? Hey, Ryan. Hey, man. How are you? Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? My pleasure. Feeling good? Yeah, feeling okay. We uh, we moved here in the last week, so okay. moving at uh, 43 is a little tough. I uh, <laughs> fell off a ladder, had a shelf fall on my face. Um, so yeah, a little. That was tired. that was recent, and you're <laughs> yeah, here that today. Was like well, two thank days you. Ago, so <laughs> if I look like I've been in a cage fight. You know why? Okay. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, thanks for being uh, here with us anyway. Um, If you recognize Ryan, he has spoken here on this stage a number of times before. Um, You also see him around the building as he's working a lot with our student ministry. Um, But Ryan, you know, as I got to know you, I think I'd probably known you for a year before I really heard some of what has gone on in your life in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, And so I honestly was kind of surprised by it, just knowing how much you love God, how much you trust him, to hear a little bit more of what really you've been through. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Ryan had two brothers, uh, mom and a dad growing up. That was kind of your, your core family. Um, and in 2005, his brother George died at 36 in his sleep. And two years later in 2007, his brother Mark died of an overdose. A few years after that, his mom died of breast cancer And about three months ago, right here in this room, we did your dad's funeral after he died of esophageal cancer. So, at just barely over 40, um, you're the only person left in your core family. I think as I heard you describe those things to me and kind of being through some of that with your dad um, with you, and then sitting here today in a series that we call Benefit of the Doubt, you know, I I just felt like I would love to ask you... As you went through that, how did you think about God through that? You know, did you doubt him? What were the questions that you were asking? How did you just even process all of that? Yeah. Um, well, short answer is definitely had a lot of questions and honestly a lot of doubt. Um, a little of the backstory. Um, so in 2005, Becky and I were pregnant with Lily, our first, and we were living in Athens, Ohio, and... Uh, moving back to Cincinnati because my family was here. So we're thinking, oh, we're going to raise our kids with my brothers, my parents, you know, and we had kind of this whole story in our heads, what was going to happen. Um, and then in January, we got a call before we moved that my brother had passed away. Um, so in the midst of that, having been kind of the first loss of the four, um, one of the things that kept playing in my head is like, hey, God, you're you're stealing my story, right? Like the story was supposed to be this, that we were supposed to move back to Cincinnati and, and raise our families kind of together and um, be at birthdays and holidays and all of that. Um, so some doubt definitely began to arise out of that. Um, and the way that it, it, I describe it is it's sort of a tug of war um, 
with doubt between my heart and my mind. In my heart, I knew that God was good and that really he was going to write a better story than I could write. Um, but my head and my mind was saying, no, this story stinks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like this story, God. So you had this tug of war um, that would happen. And that led to a lot of questions and, and honestly, some doubt in the midst of that. Because, you know, again, two years later, then Mark dies. You know, so it's like it yeah. all happens again, kind of coming in waves. Yeah. Yeah, so I know part of that, you, you shared something with me the other day, especially um, kind of around the time of Mark's death, something that you felt like God was was teaching you in that. So how did that help you? I mean, I think if I went through what you've been through, I would expect my story to be, and that's when I knew God wasn't good and I turned my back on him. And yet you're sitting here trying to help us understand sure. how to continue to pursue him through that. Yeah, um, well, one of the things that, like, I remember when I think about uh, the loss of my brothers in particular was, again, that idea of losing my story um, and struggling with that with God. Um, but then when Mark passed away, it was, it was just a crazy 24 hours. That I think maybe I shared a little bit of that, but my dad was in the hospital for heart surgery. You know, my brother dies in the middle of the night while my dad's in the hospital for heart surgery. So then my mom and I, you know, show up, tell my dad, and, and they send in a chaplain which I don't know if anybody here has um, had that happen, but it, that's a tough gig, like being a chaplain and walking into a room where you have no relationships and just being like, so how you doing, buddy? You know. Um, so he, he comes in and he's just kind of asking that question, like, how are you guys doing? Um, and, and I hadn't really thought through that because you don't really think, how am I doing when you're <laughs> telling your dad your brother died? Um, but the only thing I could think of was um, there's a story in, in the Bible where Jesus kind of teaches some hard lessons, and a lot of his disciples start to leave. Um, well, not his 12 disciples, but a lot of his followers start to leave. And he turns to the 12, and he's like, hey, are you guys going to leave too? Um, and Peter says, you know, well, where would we go, <laughs> right? Because you have the words of life. Basically saying like, hey, there's nothing else um, that we would follow besides you right now. And that was sort of... Where I landed after the death of my brother Mark was just that, like, gosh, at that point, you know, I was in my mid-30s, and it's like, I had tried a lot of stuff in life, right? Like, we had had homes, and we had children, we had married, you know, had interesting high school career. Um, so it's like, I tried lots of things, and the only thing that felt like words of life to me, or that was life-giving, was my relationship with God. Um, so I felt like there was really no other place to turn. Like, I... As I think about my story, like, I wish I had this, like, lion kind of courage faith all the time in this, where I'm like, oh, I just trust you, God, as I'm burying family members. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it's a, it's been a lot more like this benefit of a doubt series, where it's like, hey, God, I'm going to give you the benefit of a doubt that though this really stinks, that you're still good and you still love me, um, mm-hmm. and you still have my best in mind. Yeah, yeah. So is that kind of where you feel like you're at? now these days sitting here on a sunday morning yeah i think again as you alluded to in early june like we sat here um kind of honoring my dad here um and what i would say is that like gosh my faith you know i believe it to my core and my heart and and the doubt kind of comes like the like grief does it'll come in waves where it'll hit but then thankfully i feel like god holds on to me in the midst of that um, and, and a little bit of faith I have, that benefit of a doubt, where I say, well, God, I know you're good. I, I know that this doesn't feel good. Um, I feel like it's how I stay connected to him, that I just I give him the benefit of the doubt that he's good. And over time, he proves himself that, that he is good in yeah. my life. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you sharing. I know you've been a, a great encouragement to me when I face what I feel like are far lesser things, and yet we're talking to the same God, and I'm asking some of the same kinds of questions. So um, can we just give Ryan a, a thank you for sharing with us today? Appreciate you, man. You know, I don't know what your experience has, has been like. I don't know if you can listen to Ryan and say, oh my goodness, that's what happened to me. Or if you feel like it's been a little bit different for you. But I think as I listen to him, I, I feel like I hear strength. You know, he says, I wish I just had courage all the time. I feel like I hear courage. And definitely that's, that's what we would call like faith, right? Like that he just has faith in God. And yet I really appreciate that in the midst of that, it's not the shrug your shoulders, everything feels fine and nothing ever phases me. I just believe it's really wrestling through some very serious questions, some very serious doubts. And as we've been going through this series, we've been calling that the benefit of the doubt. That there can actually be something good about that because God is not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. In fact, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, when somebody leans in with an honest doubt, not like a flippant, forget you God, I don't think this is real, but really kind of leans in and says, but if you are good, how is this possible? If you are who you say you are, if this really is your word, God loves to meet you there. And he shows it time and time again, including in the life of a man that we've met in this series named Jeremiah. Jeremiah had doubts of his own. It was interesting to track his life and to see how he was called to do things for God. And he started with, are you sure that's what you mean, God? Are you really who you say you are? Is this really your word? Do you really want me to do this? But then shifts to a point of believing God and saying, well, then I need to help other people see this. And so today in our series, we're going to look at two events in the life of Jeremiah where it's the people around him who are experiencing doubt and how they respond to those two events in dramatically different ways. And so I actually want to read um, the first of those to you because God comes to Jeremiah and says, listen, you're my guy. I've got a word for you that you're going to pass on to everybody else. So he calls them into a public place and thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of their evil doings. And so you hear this. This is God saying, go to my people Give them a warning, right? And you, and you see kind of this pattern a lot through the Bible that God's people are close to him, but then they start to distance themselves, disobey and doubt. And so God gives them a warning to come back because if you keep going this direction, you're going to end up in pain. But if you come back this direction, you're going to end up with blessing and you're going to enjoy the relationship with me. And so that's the message that he's giving through Jeremiah. But people struggle with it. And so I think what Jeremiah found, what he's trying to help others find, and what is available to us today, is this idea that you and I can give God and his word the benefit of the doubt. And so when I use that phrase, what I really mean by that is that we believe the best of God, and we believe the best of his word, knowing that I don't have all the information. If it's possible I don't have all the information, then I want to believe the best of God and the best of his word and lean into it that way as I continue to explore who he is and what his word says. Because if you notice in that piece, God says, perhaps they will listen. 
And that becomes really important. Because when God talks about listening, he doesn't just mean you hear it. Like, if you've got kids, I've got kids. Hey, buddy, you need to clean your room. Okay, dad. And then right back to Legos. Like, what does okay mean to you? (laughs) Right, he heard me, but he didn't do anything about it. You see, when God wants us to listen, what he means is really tune in. Get out that ear horn, pay close attention, and take action on it. A lot of times what ends up happening is we set the ear horn aside and we put in the ear plugs. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, God, sure. So I I was trying to make some sense of this in my own mind because as God goes on, he starts using words like heed, you know, that we don't really use that often. But here's kind of the picture of it. You've got Jeremiah standing in front of a crowd of people telling them all, I have the word of God, so you all better do what I'm telling you. Now, what is your gut reaction to that right off the bat? Sure you do, right? <laughs> you know, who put you in charge kind of a thing. It reminded me, if you've ever seen the movie The Music Man, starring Robert Preston and Ron Howard when he was like this big, there's a moment at the beginning of that movie where he's basically a con artist. And so he gathers the entire town and he starts giving them these warnings. And he sings this song about a pool table and how it's going to destroy everything they've ever loved. And I could sing you the song, but you don't want me to. <laughs> But I will tell you, my father-in-law is here today, and he has played the music man on stage before, so you can ask him to sing you the song afterwards if you'd like. But what happens is, everybody falls for it. They believe him, and for the entire rest of the movie, he's pulling this con, he's ripping them off, he's taking their money, until by the end of the movie, when they finally realize that they've been lied to, they are ready to tar and feather him. Now, in Jeremiah's life, the people of Judah did not wait for the end of the movie. As soon as he starts talking, they say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not being tricked by this. We're not falling for this junk, and we don't believe you for a second, and they're ready to tar and feather him right away. In fact, it actually goes far beyond tarring and feathering. It says that the priests and the prophets, the religious leaders of the people, as soon as they heard him say that God is telling you you need course correction, they said, this man deserves to die. Now, you can probably guess that I'm not up here this morning to teach you that our response should be kill people who try to help you understand God's word. (laughs) But there are some reasonable doubts, I think, that they have in the midst of that because they're wondering, is this really God's word? Right? They were in circumstances that they didn't like at the time. They're wondering, does God really know best about the circumstances of my life? You know, they're even doubting, do we really need to change? Do we really need to live the way Jeremiah claims that God is telling us to live? Now, all of those are doubts that that you and I might share. You know, that if I pick up this book to study it and it says, live this way, live that way, believe this about God, do this thing, I may have questions. If it says that God is good, even when the kinds of things that Ryan described happen in your life, I may say, yeah, I kind of doubt it right now. What's interesting is that in that same moment, as people are plugging their ears in the religious community, it actually says that the princes and all the people show up and they actually tune in a little bit. In fact, what they said was, hey, we've heard prophets speak before. And remember that time when that prophet said that thing and he said, if the king disobeyed, we'd all be destroyed. But if the king obeyed, we'd all be blessed. And the king obeyed and we were all blessed. So they basically say, we better give Jeremiah the benefit of the doubt. 
let's wait a little bit, because if he's right and we kill him, then it's all downhill from here. But if he's right and we listen to him, it might turn out for our good. So let's, let's give this some time. I think that's the approach that I would encourage us to take, because if you notice, God said, don't diminish a word. He wanted to make sure that everybody heard exactly what he had been saying. And so I think what we can do is we can take these doubts, we can take those questions, the ones that we ourselves ask, and begin to reshape them. And say, what would it look like, not to pretend I don't have the question, but to reframe it a little bit, to give God the benefit of the doubt. And so one of those might be to take that doubt, I doubt this is really God's word, and say, you know, maybe I can give God the benefit of the doubt that his word has not been diminished. That this book, what I'm holding here and reading to you from today, is actually reliable. Now hopefully you've gathered from me that what I'm not asking you to do is plug your ears, turn off your brain, and just say, well, the the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I, I don't know about you, but I've... I've just never settled into that place. I've always got another question to ask. I always love to dig. I always love to find out a little bit more. And so here's what I love about biblical prophecy. Because we've got this man, Jeremiah, saying, I know what the future holds for you. Now, if God is who he says he is, and if he really spoke to Jeremiah, then it would actually be surprising if God did not know the future. But in the moment, how do we know Jeremiah is telling the truth? And so, in fact, what you find in the Old Testament is when it comes to biblical prophecy... The people of God were actually supposed to doubt the prophets. Right? That's how you avoid that music man thing. Because if anybody who stood up and said, I speak for God, you all need to give me all your money. (laughs) I speak for God, uh, you all need to mow my lawn for me. Right? Anybody could stand up and say that. And if we just had to believe everybody, you could see how dangerous that would be. So God actually tells them that the prophets need to be tested. Because one thing that is true about all of the biblical prophets, they are extremely specific. None of this fortune cookie, Nostradamus kind of stuff where it's so vague that you could almost apply it to anything and then say, wow, how did it know, (laughs) right? You know, you crack open that fortune cookie and it says, something good will happen to you soon. I mean, I can pin that to the fortune cookie I'm about to eat, (laughs) right? No, they were extremely specific And some of it had to be fulfilled within their own lifetime. Because if it turned out you were a false prophet, the penalty was death. So Jeremiah is taking a major risk here by stepping up. If it's not God's word, this could cost him his life. So they were actually supposed to doubt, to test it, to prove it, to make sure that it could be verified. Because then if it turns out he's right... Well, then you can say, we better pay a little more attention to the other things he's been saying. If he's right about that, then maybe he really is from God. He may be right about these things, too. And one of the, the coolest examples I heard about this um, recently, uh, Chad was telling me, and I, I tracked back the homework, had to do with Alexander the Great. So there's one of the Old Testament prophets who predicted a succession of kingdoms, a number of different empires that were going to go throughout history. And there's one point in there where there's an empire that is made up of two powers, what we now realize was the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's a prophecy in there that it would be taken down by another empire, one power coming from the part of the world that Alexander the Great himself was from. 
And so historians recorded this incredible moment where as Alexander is moving through the known world and just conquering everything, he comes to Jerusalem and the um, priests run out of the temple holding the Bible saying, Alexander, we think this is about you. They show him the prophecy in the Old Testament that says that someone from his part of the world is going to take down the two power kingdom, etc., etc. And he looks at it and he says, that's me. Written years before he was ever even born and he realizes I'm going to fulfill that prophecy. But then again, even as I looked at that, I thought, you know, here's my just little bit of skeptic in me. How do we know that that wasn't just Alexander deciding, I will fulfill, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Well, now he knows about it, so now he can go, gave him the courage to live it out, whatever, whatever. Well, if you go read the actual prophecy, there are two more things that it says about him that he could not control. One, the prophecy said that this king would die young and that his kingdom would be split in four ways after his death, which is exactly what happened to Alexander's empire. I believe he died when he was 32 and his kingdom was split among his four generals. You see, when the Bible puts something that specific and then it's proven true, that helps me give the Bible the benefit of the doubt that God's word has not been diminished. In addition to that is what's known as manuscript evidence. And I'm going to give you just a taste of this because there's a lot more homework that we could do here. But I think this is so fun. Because you want to know, is the Bible I'm reading really the Bible that was written? You know, regularly, one of the claims I hear against the Bible is people tend to think that it's been changed so many times through history, like the telephone game and whoever gets it next, they take things out or they put things in because they want it to say whatever they want it to say. Well, right off the bat, think about this. Who wanted to hear what Jeremiah was saying? None of them. Remember a few weeks ago, we saw him up to his neck in mud because of what he said was God's word. Now they're trying to kill him. Later, they're going to drag him off to a foreign country. So who on earth copied it down and said, we need to preserve this for generations because it's so good? Right? In, in what world was Jeremiah saying, I could use the word of God to manipulate people into giving me control? If that's the plan, it doesn't work. The reality is that the Bible you're holding, the English Bible I'm reading today, you know, the one that maybe you can pull up on an app or, or search online, this isn't just like a tweaked version of your grandparents' Bible. It's not a redone version of what they had a couple years ago because we believe kind of different things now. In fact, this Bible that I'm holding right now is translated directly from the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic that the original manuscripts were written in. And in fact, the most well-attested text in all of ancient literature, other than the Bible, is Homer's Iliad. The Iliad, even recently, they found a whole bunch more manuscripts. So we have, I think it's 1,757 manuscripts and manuscript pieces of evidence for Homer's Iliad. They have 95% agreement with each other, and they come from within a few hundred years of when it was written. What that tells me is, the Iliad I read is the Iliad Homer wrote. The Old Testament evidence is actually very similar. Same thing within a few hundred years with about 95% agreement between the manuscripts, which basically means here and there with somebody who copied it, you know, missed a comma, forgot the silent E. Um, I can never remember if there's an E in encouragement or not. Like, it's just little stuff like that. Nothing that changes beliefs, nothing that changes doctrine, nothing that changes who God is. The New Testament even goes far beyond that. It has over three times as many manuscripts, almost 5,800 
They have 99.5% agreement and they don't come from a few hundred years, but within a few decades. The earliest copies of the New Testament that we have are within the lifetime of the people who originally wrote it. Now, whatever you believe about the Bible, whether you think this is interesting history, whether you think it's just like Aesop's fables, whether you believe it as God's word like I do, that tells me that the Bible I'm reading is the Bible that was written, that it has not been diminished, and that we can trust it, that if we're going to explore who God is, we can start here. You see, that matters, because when you come to Horizon, we say that's a big part of what we're doing here. You know, that we have a service just like this, and I love this because it gives us a place to ask our questions, to come in with, like, no Bible knowledge required, to say, I've never seen the book of Jeremiah before. I'm reading out of chapter 26 today. This, this was, like, basically new to me when I started studying it. And say, so what's really in there? Because if I'm going to take application from my life, if I'm going to try to understand who God is, and supposedly it's coming from there, then it matters that I can rely on that text, Right? And in addition to that, that's part of why we do our equipping service too. So the other service that's at 4.30 on Saturday and 8.50 Sunday morning is built to go verse by verse, page by page through these books because we want to know what's in here. God could have written millions of pages, but he wrote this many. So why did he write these pages? And why are these words on these pages? One of the ways that I would encourage you, you can think about giving God's word the benefit of the doubt. I mean, one is just to read it. But if you're like me, you're going to hit a lot of stuff that you you read it and then you say, what on earth is going on here? (laughs) So one of the ways that I've just really enjoyed is getting into a group study. You know, sitting down with some other guys and saying, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? If this is written as history, like where's the proof? How do we back that up? And if God continues to prove himself true, then how do I live that out? So I'd encourage you, if you've never been a part of that, you know, think about doing that even in this upcoming season. You know, one of the things that you may have heard us mention is Authentic Manhood is coming up. Authentic Manhood is a group study that we do. Uh, it's Sunday nights and Monday mornings, same thing both times. But basically taking real life stuff that guys deal with and then saying, well, give me some scripture. Help me see where that comes from. We take just bite-sized pieces of scripture to apply to those specific situations to help us understand how to live as a better dad, a better husband, a better boss, a better worker. So that's one great opportunity that's coming up. And ladies, those opportunities are here for you as well. In fact, um, one that's coming up that's really fun is called Seamless. So you'll probably see some details for that in the program because that takes about seven weeks and overviews the entire story of the Bible to say, like, what's really in here? How does it all hold together? Is Jesus in this whole thing? Does he not show up till later? How does this all pin together so that I can really understand it? So I encourage you, give God's word the benefit of the doubt. That we can look at it and say, I know that it has not been diminished. Because then out of that, we begin to experience kind of like Ryan did. That when I find myself in circumstances that I wish weren't happening... Things that I wish weren't real. Things that I don't understand. Places that I just don't have all of the information. And I say, how is God good through this? Is God really who he says he is? Could God really be doing what he said he was going to do? That gives us the place to look back to, to discover that truth. Because this is exactly what was happening to the people of Israel. You see, after this moment, 
when they decided, okay, we won't kill him right now, we'll, we'll try to listen in a little bit longer, the reality was that individually a lot of people had turned against God. And so now, from their homeland, many of them had been taken into captivity into Babylon. So Babylon kind of becomes the world empire at that time, the big bad Babylon, and people who had disobeyed God were experiencing those consequences. And so most of them had been carried off to Babylon, but there were a few of them left. A few of them who were saying, we need help. Maybe we should have listened to God after all. And so I think this is really interesting because instead of tar and feather this time, when Jeremiah shows up, they actually go to Jeremiah themselves and say, would you please pray for us? Wasn't that awesome? I mean, that could just be it right there then. So, so do that instead. Instead of plugging your ears, pray, listen. That'll be great. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. Um, but I want you to hear what happens here. Because if in the first event they decided, we'll give God the benefit of the doubt, and they avoided the danger that was coming, this is a little bit different. They come to Jeremiah and they said, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many, as you can see. Pray that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which, your, which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Doesn't that just sound like such a powerful statement of faith? Pray for us. And whatever God says, no matter what it is, whether it's good or bad, whether we like it or not, we'll do it so that we may know his blessing. Wow. I'd love to be in a place where I could pray like that. But keep listening. So Jeremiah goes, he prays. He actually has to pray for 10 days before God gives him the answer. And this is what God says. He says, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you up, not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. But if you say we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord our God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and to go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. Now, when Jeremiah had spoken to the people all the words of the Lord their God, all the proud men spoke to Jeremiah, saying, mm, You speak falsely. 
The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they went as far as Tophanes. So Tophanes was the home of Pharaoh in Egypt. So you see, essentially what has happened is, a lot of times we act like we want to know what God says in a situation. And this, honestly, this is not even to pick on them because I am there all the time. A lot of times I, I say that I'm praying, but I'm kind of praying with my fingers crossed behind my back. Lord, whatever it is, whatever you want for me, it doesn't matter. I'll do anything you say, whether it's hard or easy. I just, I just want to follow you because I know you know what's best. Assuming that means I get the home, get the raise, get the promotion, everyone in my family is healthy. I'm assuming that's your plan, God, because that's really what I'm praying about right now. Amen. <laughs> right? I mean, they literally said, no matter what it is, whether we like it or not, we'll obey. And God says, okay, well, here's what it is. I know you're scared of Babylon. I know that the circumstances of your life are painful right now. I know that they are out of your control, that there is nothing you can do about it, but you're going to have a hard time with this. I'm telling you, wait. Just wait there. Dear Lord, for how long? You know, but I think about Ryan's story. And as I've talked to him, as we've gotten to know each other, how many times in his life he's just waiting, doesn't have all the information, and it feels like he's trapped in Babylon. And maybe you've been there. Is it possible that I can actually say, I want to give God the benefit of the doubt, that I can trust him even when I don't like my circumstances. Because he told them that he was actually going to make the king of Babylon be nice to him, be kind to him. That actually the king of Babylon would, would ultimately send them back to the promised land if they would just trust God there. But too often what happens is we like the idea of following God. We like the idea of being obedient. We definitely like the idea that Hey, do this thing that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. But then a lot of times, maybe sometimes, the words on the page are a little bit harder than we expected. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to include that. You know, we may have different fears. You may not be dragged into captivity and afraid of a king who could put you to slave labor. But for some of us, we don't give God the benefit of the doubt because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do. Afraid of what he might ask us to change. You know, we, we feel like if we ignore him, we'll just get to stay right here and things will be nice. We're actually afraid that it's God who's going to make these things happen. You know, sometimes we're afraid that we'll, we'll lose our edge. Or that's going to make us some kind of weird version of ourselves. Or that we won't know how to process life anymore if, if I'm not in control anymore. If I have to admit that I'm not in control and, and let God be in control instead. But he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whatever your circumstances are, is it possible to say, I can trust God even when I don't like my circumstances? I can give God the benefit of the doubt when I don't get that job. Or when I do get that job and I didn't realize how much of a sacrifice it was going to be for my family. You can give God the benefit of the doubt when that tragedy strikes. When you hear that diagnosis, when someone you care about self-destructs, 
or when you do, you can give God the benefit of the doubt that even though you may not have all of the pieces, He is still good. He still cares about you. He still wants to be with you. you know, there was a famous philosopher, Rene Descartes, and what he famously said was that you should doubt all things. And there's something in that that I, I really appreciate because I'm a critical thinker, I'm a logical thinker, and that's, again, that's what helps us avoid the music, man, right? It's like, I'm going to start by thinking you might be wrong. But the unintended consequences, what happened with Descartes was that because you doubt all things, he still believed that truth was accessible. And in fact, after all the doubts that Rene went through, he still believed that God was real, the God of the Bible. But what happens is, if I have to doubt everything, I become the only possible source of truth. Because if you tell me something's true and I say, hmm, I doubt that. And then you say, no, let me show you. I did my research. I'd like to show you the homework that I did and here's why you can believe it. And I've even got some examples of it and I really think this is true and I want you to know that too. Well, then I can doubt your homework. I can doubt your research. I can doubt if you really asked the right questions. I can doubt if maybe you missed something. And so then I say, I doubt it. But maybe I'll do my own research. Maybe I'll do my own homework. But you notice what happens? Ultimately, at some point, we have to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Even if it's me. I give myself the benefit of the doubt that I ask better questions than you do. I do better homework than you do. I might be a little bit smarter than you are. And so while I didn't trust you, I do trust me that it's not true. Which in itself is another truth statement. And so in an unintentional way, we almost lose access to truth because what we're striving for is certainty. That until I have all of the information, I can't believe anything. And that falls apart. Life just can't work that way. You know, right now, we are all giving this building the benefit of the doubt that the ceiling won't crash in on us. That your pew won't fall out from under you. That when you get in your car to drive home, the mechanic didn't cut your brakes. I don't know, some of those feel like goofy examples. But when it comes to what's true, we're going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, and usually we're giving it to ourselves. What would it look like to shift that to God and say, God, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt even if I don't have complete certainty on what's happening or why. You see, what happened for God's people, this home of Pharaoh's had a brick courtyard, and, and this was one of those, like, it didn't quite make the list of the ancient wonders of the world, <laughs> but it was a landmark, and, and the brick courtyard would be familiar. And so what God actually gave them is when his people, you know, he says stay in Babylon, they go the opposite direction. None of us have ever done that. It was only them, but we'll listen in anyway. What he tells them, I love this because he didn't abandon them. He spoke to them even in Egypt and he told them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take stones and bury them beneath that brick courtyard and here's why. Because what they didn't know that God did, as scary as Babylon sounded, it was safe because Babylon's army was about to leave Babylon and attack Egypt. So when God says, if you go to Egypt, you're going to die... Right? That's not just God being a jerk. That's not God pouting and saying he's going to start firing lightning bolts. That's God saying you will actually be safer here because Egypt is the next place that Babylon's going to conquer. And the war you ran away from is going to meet you there and you'll be caught in the middle of it. So he tells them, bury these stones underneath the brick courtyard because when the king of Babylon comes, he won't know they're there. You've hidden them. You're the only ones who know. But he's going to set his throne directly above those stones. 
You see, I think the reason that he did that is because God wants to take these flimsy doubts and replace them with something that is rock solid. That for all the ways that they had resisted him, doubted him, and gone the other direction, God is saying, still, I want to give you something that you've been a part of, you've heard it, that you will know for sure that the word of God is true. Every single word. Because even here, they have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we have to to bury the stones now. And later we'll find out that God was good to his word. In fact, if every word of God is true, then there's one other thing that Jeremiah had taught them that they would want to remember. Because it wasn't all warnings and consequences. In fact, earlier in this same book, he told them that he was going to send a redeemer. That despite all the mistakes they'd made, all the circumstances that were happening, all the bad decisions that they had made in their lives, he was going to send someone that Jeremiah calls the Lord our righteousness, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was the one who comes to fulfill everything that God had told us. That you and I often, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm really listening. A lot of times I feel like I might have the earplugs in. I know that there are places where Babylon is the circumstances in my life that I wish had never happened. In Egypt, or the choices I've made, or the things I've done in my life that probably God wishes never happened, and, and certainly I do too. And yet somewhere in the middle is what he calls redemption, mercy, forgiveness. That through Jesus Christ, he wants to bring us to a promised land. That we can begin to experience that now, and that we can live in it with him forever. And so it may be that today you want to give God the benefit of the doubt by beginning to explore his word a little more. Maybe it's joining one of those study groups. You know, it may be that today you want to look at God, give him the benefit of the doubt, and say, for the first time, I want to trust that your word is true. And I want to know you as forgiver. If that's you today, I would invite you. We're going to close with a word of prayer. And you can just give God these words. God, I trust you that I have made a bunch of Egypt choices in my life. And I need forgiveness. And I trust you, in Jesus' name, to be my forgiver. If you want to pray that way, you can do that even now. Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you that you are gracious to us when we find ourselves in Babylon and the circumstances of life are out of control. Lord, I thank you that you are forgiving toward us when we find ourselves in Egypt through choices that we have made on our own. Lord, that we can trust you that we can experience mercy when we listen to you and turn and change direction to follow you. God, if there are hearts here this morning that just need to hear that, I pray would you let it settle into their hearts that when we walk out of this place, we would not forget it. But that the words of Jeremiah about Jesus, that he can take every mistake we've made, every broken circumstance, that you want to heal all of it and be the Lord our righteousness. We will ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.